This is Irish Illustrated Insider with Tim O'Malley and Pete Sampson. I'm Tim Priester. It's Monday, July 15th. We're in our weekly cycles now here for the podcast, the Irish Illustrated Insider podcast. And um, I had an opportunity this morning to spend some time with Clark Lee and Chip Long. We won't get to all of it in the podcast, but this is a good reason to be subscribed to Irish Illustrated now because there's a whole bunch of information coming out. And in addition to the interview that I just had with Todd Light, Last week, but we want to talk about a couple topics. Tim, I know that you addressed uh, the percentages. Who who put that out? The percentages of it was the uh, ESPN FPI. So it's strictly numbers, and I did a little reading on this percentages of Notre Dame's wins against everybody. The, their odds against their, their upcoming twelve opponents. I, I did when I kind of dug into FPI because you can say FPI and you just know it's numbers. But actually, right now. It is only based on last year's numbers and returning players. So these numbers do change a little bit. But when you look back at last year's, they showed some of these percentages. And I think, Pete, and you guys discussed this on a, on a previous podcast, that you know Notre Dame was actually a pretty fairly high value to make the playoffs last year. You found it kind of weird that they were, just like Michigan is this year. Was, uh, FPI was 40% before the season started. So they're not totally off, but the, you know the reason for bringing this up... I just picked out three, I thought. I would no, and like I, to bet and the, the reason, other way. The reason I'm bringing it up is because I, I thought that those were the the three to bring out. The, you know, I mean, Notre Dame's per- chance of beating Michigan at Michigan is 37.1%. That, that just, that seems awfully low. And it seems awfully high that there's an 86.7% chance they'll beat Virginia. Doesn't it seem like... The week after going to Georgia. Georgia, Yeah. A consensus top 25 Are they taking that into consideration too? What happened the week before? Where they were the week before? I don't think so. Not enough. (laughs) (laughs) And just, you know, look, I think Notre Dame's better than Stanford, but is it really almost 70% chance Notre Dame goes out to Stanford in 12 weeks and beats them? Since they never do it? I can see 55, right? They're better. I mean, I'd say of these numbers, Stanford makes the least amount of sense. Uh, Virginia makes the second least, and like <laughs> Michigan, by comparison, actually is like okay, I can get it. I, I agree with I, that. I can, I can actually sort of get behind yeah, the yeah. Michigan number only compared to the Stanford and Virginia numbers, which I think are totally bizarre. Yeah, they are. They're just strange things. USC was like seventy nine percent, and I mean a lot of stuff I has mean, to happen. Look, if at the end of the year I said, hey, by the way, Bryce Perkins was the best quarterback Notre Dame went against this year, would you be like, that's insane? No. Or like, actually, you know, I can, no, de- you might be right. Yeah. No, de- I mean, as far as run pass yeah. ability, but no, yeah. he could be. Which all gonna, counts. Yeah. Could, yeah, no, it all counts. <laughs> he, could, he could be a real handful for Notre Dame's defense, there's no doubt. Now, the other numbers that came out this week, or some, was it somebody on our message board, or who, who actually put I saw that out Twitter about for the, the first time. Okay. Yeah. Um, the last three seasons, Rec- coaches' records against top 25s. Of course, Dabo Sweeney's is off the chart. The, the final top 25. Yeah, yes, yeah. which the, is important. The, the final top 25. Um, <clears throat> yeah, very important because wins in September can be skewed uh, right. based upon some of those uh, rankings. Uh, Dabo Sweeney, number one. Nick Saban, number two, by a large margin. Those yeah. are those guys are way ahead of the pack. Of course, Sweeney's they be. Four, yeah. yeah, Sweeney's fourteen and two for crying out loud. But number three on that list in the last three years, including two thousand sixteen, that's why it's weird. Is Brian Kelly yeah. at eight and seven? When you say last, if you told me last two years and said Brian Kelly sure. number three, I'd say oh, that makes sense. Three and or four. So right? that's with that's with what They're one and three, one and three in two thousand sixteen. Yeah, right? you went four and eight in two thousand sixteen, <laughs> and one and three against the top twenty five. The win is Miami, by the way. If you're trying okay. to yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I know. Yes. Yeah, the win's Miami. Um, I, like, I don't think Army finished in the top. Well, yeah, I, but I, I that's when I was going through it. I thought, well, did Army finish? Yeah, yeah. Um, no, it was Miami. Yeah, if you said t- last two years, I'd say sure, it makes sense. Playoffs and yeah. ten and three. But when you think about that, I mean, he's. 
that's basically giving him a here's a just absolute crap season, and yet he's still there above all the coaches. Well, and this is the, the twelve and zero counterbalances that though, right? I mean, but it so, shouldn't it for other teams. But look how many guys are at or around 500. Right. Which is eight and seven, which is Brian Kelly, of course, but the, like I, Kirby I, smart seven and seven Gundy at Oklahoma state five and five Helton six and seven, which is kind of surprising. But what's that tell you? He lost to teams. He should have beaten. Yeah. Also like urban Meyer, uh, not included because he retired. Because he retired. I'm I'm assuming he would uh, actually be point. number three. Yeah, probably, yeah. yeah. Comfortably yes, well, so. well, especially because yeah. his losses, if you think about it, Iowa was not a top twenty-five team. Remember, but Wood, by the Wood end Shed of the year, whatever. probably was. Yeah, they were right around there, right? They were, uh, the, you know, yeah. Purdue, Purdue. I don't think finished ranked last year. No, they didn't because they got annihilated in the bowl game. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Jim Jim Harbaugh, Jim Harbaugh, five and ten. Uh, Gus Malzahn, six and ten. Five and ten is the issue there. That's. Did I say five, five and nine? I'm sorry, five and nine, still and Melzon six and ten, still what bad. Was, uh, yeah. Peterson, Peterson was four and five, so he hasn't played as many. Uh, Christ five and seven, Franklin five and seven, Frost four and six. Some of those at Central Florida. Uh, Dan Mullen three and eight. Uh, David Shaw three and eight. Which uh, you know, I, I know people don't put like like for example the argument against Harbaugh is that. He's lost all the good teams and beaten the bad teams. Well, you got you have to beat the bad teams in order to win ten games in a year, and so at least he's done that. Um, and obviously, David Shaw has as well, since he's three and eight against top twenty-five. Mark D'Antonio three and ten. Not surprising with what's happened with them in in recent years. Fitzgerald and Northwestern two and eight. So, I mean, it's an accomplishment. Notre Dame will have. Um, you know, we'll we'll add to this list They'll this year. They've got three I mean, finish there, three or four finish there. Yeah, and three 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 tough ones on the road. Other teams can lose too. That's yeah. why you say they can't. These four teams can't make it. Yeah, it's hard. It, it's, you know, as a head coach, it's it's hard winning a whole bunch of games above five hundred against right. top twenty five teams. It's difficult to do, but it it was an interesting find and and speaks to. One win over a top 25 in 2016 and really good the last two years. How about this commentary on the schedule? I said three or four will be in there. Aren't there only six that could finish in the top 25? The Virginias, USC and Stanford, Michigan and Georgia. BC's not going to finish in the top 25, right? No, not this year. Yeah, No, definitely yeah. not this year. Navy's not going to probably do that. I mean, they, would have, the, they, no. they need the benefit of the doubt so much to do something like that. Yeah, there's then there's now, teams that cannot like Bowling Green, New Mexico, and Louisville. Duke. Uh, Duke, Duke, Duke. So, no. yeah, that's Duke it. No, won't. that's the whole schedule. Not with their not no, not with a new quarterback. So there's six and, that, and they get to face Alabama and Notre Dame. Congrats! Yeah, I was going to say the good thing Clemson wow. didn't trend was that? They have Alabama, Notre Dame, but they miss Clemson in the ACC. Imagine yeah. if they had Clemson too. Just take on the playoffs. Oh my gosh, <laughs> that'd be that'd be unfair. But uh, yeah, well, David Cutcliffe and Duke will. They'll give it their best effort. They'll they'll give it their best effort. They've they've got, actually got some ability on the back end of their defense, and uh, we'll see how that turns. out. I, I still think that Notre Dame going to Duke. I think there's going to be some discomfort along the way in that in that game. That that's that's all I'm saying about that. Um, <clears throat> I mentioned the interviews that I had with the two coordinators and Todd Light. One of the topics of conversation that was brought up with Todd Light was uh, who's going to play where at corner. Um, Troy Pride Jr., I don't know if you guys knew this or not. I didn't know it. I wasn't observant enough at the Blue Goal game. 
but Pride played boundary the whole blue goal game. He did. He did. Although I sort of chalked a lot of it up to like right left. Yeah, I did um, too. I think we saw a bunch that's, of that. No, that, no, that's, that, that's, that's very I, true. And that's I'm very not true. sitting there thinking like, well, the hash, the, the ball is on the left hash no. mark in this meaningless spring exhibition. Right. You see that but, in Louisville. You immediately notice. Right. You see that in that game. It's my my guy, point yeah. is that it's not like he. He didn't practice Correct. a boundary during the spring. He has some experience. He's their best corner. He's their senior leader. He has to. He has to be the guy to do that. I. Um, I'm not really sure what to make of this because look, I'm not going to let. I believe that one of you or maybe both of you are like. You don't just throw away two years of working at one position to do it as your senior year. Well, I think we course. were saying that in the spring before right. spring started. Um, a good but, argument then. But <laughs> that's kind of what they're going to do. Um, and I guess I would equate this, and I wrote this in my mailbag, this is like an offensive line coach where, who are my best five? Well, it's a center, three tackles, and a guard. That's not a lineup. You can't play two field corners at once. So who are your two best corners? <clears throat> if they both happen to be field corners, you have to move one of them to boundaries. Right. I think this says way more about Tariq Bracey versus Houston Griffith than it does about Troy Pride. I think it says 100% about that. No, I think, no, let me just throw I, this I, in. Yeah, it, 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 and this is from talking to Coach Lee. Um, and, you know, how many times do we see the Claypool Pride battle in the spring? Yeah, yeah. Okay, you want, you, want, you, want your best, you want your best corner on their six foot four, six mm-hmm. foot five wide out, you know, in, in the open field. So, you also um, don't want your worst corner on them. No, and let, and let me clarify before we go further. He, th- we're not saying that Pride is going to be strictly the boundary corner. The The idea is to get more people on the field and to take advantage of the field corner skills of a Tariq Bracey and potentially Sean Crawford, who obviously wants to play more and wants to play more than nickel. If there's an opponent where the field receiver, it's the, the X, X, is Will Fuller, I want Troy Pride over there. Exactly. However, that, <laughs> if there's a team that's where the W is Michael Floyd, I want Troy and Pride I, over I there. Believe, I, I think you're hitting it right on the head. I think that is that yeah. is the impetus for a lot of this. Plus, getting Bracey on the field a little bit more. If you flip, if you flip Pride over to the boundary or over to the field, now you can now Griffith can can get some reps at, at boundary, and they clearly hopefully Vaughn and, Va- and Vaughn is a possibility. They clearly want to get more DBs on the field if they can. It makes sense. I mean, last year they had two. We had a great one and a really, really good one, and they played about 1,700 well, snaps. And it's, so they could well, use and it's time hard, off. It's hard to take those guys off the field. And, when, one, and one of them's not coming off much this game, this season right. either. So. No, no doubt. No doubt. It's hard It's hard to take those. You know, you say, okay, well, we'll slip him in in this series. Well, what if they throw a deep ball on first down? <laughs> now you don't have one of your best cover corners on the field. You just don't want to be caught in that, in that situation. But let, just let me give you an idea. And there'll be, I haven't written the story with Todd Light. Now I have some um, Clark Lee stuff to substantiate it even further. But the idea is that the boundaries are Pride, Griffith, Vaughn, and K.J. Wallace, which I find interesting. They say he's very physical. It may have something more to do with Rutherford and being a, a better field corner. Um, but Pride, Griffith, Vaughn, and Wallace, with Pride, Griffith, and Vaughn also being able to play field, Wallace may factor into the nickel situation. Yeah. He's one of their top three nickels as they look at it right now. And then on the field side, Bracey, Crawford, Crawford obviously a nickel, Avery Davis obviously a nickel, um, Agoro fits in there, and Rutherford as well. But Agoro working at field more now means they 
kind of like the pride Griffith Vaughn thing going on. With the exactly. There was a question on our message board about Agoro and how much is he going to have to play? And, you know, and people are chiming in. Well, this says that they've recruited lousy at cornerback. And I mean, I, I don't want to say that yet before we see Rutherford play. I mean, I, I'm not going to say that they didn't recruit that that Rutherford's not a the, top recruit for them. I, they have not recruited well at corner, but that doesn't have anything to do with Rutherford or Wallace. Right? Yeah, that's not. It fair. has to do with the, the older classes where there's nobody. True. I mean, we, we wouldn't be talking about a former quarterback, former running back, Avery Davis, or a walk-on in Agoro if they had. No, that's if true. Paulson and Debo was on the team, yeah, yeah. you know, and also this would yeah, be a different conversation. No doubt about it. And also, if Dante Vaughn developed from where he thought he would from a freshman sure. to now, right? That's because you, right. you want to lose love. No, you truly love, but you back. you want to lose a guy. You want to not lose him, but you want a guy to be so good he can go right. Yeah, <laughs> that's a nice thing. And it's, then come back. Yeah, and then come back instead, right? Talk them all into coming yeah. back is what I say. So, um, you know, none of that's etched in stone, but they want the flexibility to do that. And I, from that standpoint, I think that makes a lot of sense. I mean, also looking at your list, do I think Wallace is a field corner? Yeah. However, if you moved him to field, you would have six field corners and three boundary corners, right. which you can't run a practice right, that right. way. It's like now, why with the freshman linebackers, you've got to slot them opposite. Now, I've had other. two coaches, however, portray it as, you know what? He's little, but he's physical, and he's really good in short space, and he'll come up and hit you. So, yeah, um, if that if that is thing, like you said, is interesting. Exactly. So, if that is accurate, then they've got more flexibility back there, and I think we all feel well. You know, it's important that we feel better about the (laughs) cornerback position. We all feel a little bit better about. No, I mean, you feel better about the flexibility of it, (laughs) right? We only influence. Guards becoming great, moving away from tackle. Yeah. That's all this podcast really right. has the power to do. We have proven it over the yeah. years. But other than that, give it to the coaches. I do want to insert one more thing uh, in this segment before we take uh, go to the questions, and that is uh, Clark Lee's comments about his linebackers coming up. And he, look, he doesn't know. They don't. I mean, he's like, who are they? Trust me. Yeah, I mean, trust me when I tell you. <laughs> that fun he, to say his linebackers. He doesn't. And we said this before the spring started that this is going to be a conversation through August. Yes, and he and through September, through October. Well, uh, hopefully that yeah. that that decreases a little bit along the way. But that that's exactly uh, what it is. September twenty first. He doesn't be talking about it. <laughs> he does You know, he doesn't know. Uh, obviously, but but Bilal is his Mike linebacker. I mean, Bilal is Bilal is going to be at Mike linebacker. I'm not saying he's a starter. Okay, he's, yeah. he's at Mike linebacker. Um, you know, he obviously he likes Lamb. We know that at, at the Buck, they feel a little bit better about. The rover just in that, okay, these are three guys, Ousu Kormo and Mawala and Kaiser, and so they feel like, and, and, you know, they keep coming back to, Clark Lee came back to, Ousu Kormo was the guy that, he was the first rover, true rover that we recruited. So they like him, they like the spring that he had, uh, came on really strong, Mawala came on strong, they like him close to the line of scrimmage, so there's a, there, there, there are potentially, or at least there seems like there are more answers at Rover right now, heading into it, but those guys aren't any experienced, more experienced than anybody else. I think we all sort of go through some of these off seasons, like, oh, this guy's moving up, this guy's moving down, and like a lot of it. There's, there's a lot of like coach speak, and you're not really sure like what's going to translate to the season and what's not. <laughs> I'm kind of like bullish on Uusu Koromo though, too. as like he's actually going to have no, a really am, good I am season. Too. I am too. He's a third year guy too. It does help a little yeah. bit. It's and like he, if the, talk, he talked to you, Tim, yeah, about yeah, hey, that's the position that I've been at. That's, at least I've been around it for two years. He threatened a little bit to get in the mix as a freshman. I talked to Polian about it. He's like, you know what? He's so good on special teams. Can he be a guy we would ever play at Rover? Because remember, they had Tranquil. 
and Bilal at that point. And yeah. The reason he didn't play, but Jen Markeith did, was there's no reason we're ever going to play Osu Koromoa when we have Tranquil and Bilal right yeah. now. So he didn't make right. it in. But that's, he was close enough to being like, man, this guy's a freshman not knowing anything about that level of competition in college football just from what he was. He was a yeah. roving safety in high school. Uh, he assimilated. Okay. And I think when they recruited Shane Simon, our thought was like, well, Shane Simon will, will bubble to the top of that group. And now he's... Well, they thought so, too. Yeah. They they definitely thought so, too. But, you know, I mean, maybe Mike, maybe, well, certainly based upon the way things went at Rover for him, Simon and Mike makes a lot of sense moving forward. Be watching a lot of linebackers at Culver and the bar in August, huh? It seems like that. In September (laughs) and October. All right. We'll be back. Segment two, burning up the boards. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Segment two, Burning Up the Boards, brought to you by Rent Like a Champion, South Bend's largest vacation rental company with 1,000 weekend home rentals close to Notre Dame Stadium available for Fighting Irish Game Days. Irish Illustrated readers and listeners can get $100 off their booking with the promo code IRISH2019. Our first question comes from Wash ND. Which current Notre Dame player on each side of the ball do you think is the most physically intimidating to an opponent? Quentin Nelson and Chris Zorich. <laughs> ever. <laughs> ever, yes. Okay, that ever. would be... That Those would, are my ever. That, that would be ever. Yeah. Uh, that's a good... That's a good question about current defensively, because last year I would have said... Probably would have said Tavon Coney, Jerry Tillery range, right up the middle. You had that... The physical nature of Coney. I mean, once he, once he ran you down, it was a... Mm-hmm. There was some hit coming there. No doubt. Um, the fact that I don't think of a linebacker right away is not great. <laughs> Not yet. Yeah. Um, the fact you don't think uh, I mean, if you just, Bilal, yeah, if you just include what am I going to do to deal with this guy, then Julian Aquara is physically intimidating and yeah. everything he can unleash on you. Yeah. He's not the same. When I say it's, it's, yeah. he's not going to rip your head off is the difference. Right. I there. would say, uh, well, Pete, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, I would say Julian Aquara. Um, he was on Bruce Feldman's Freaks List. I don't know if you guys read that, but uh, he was tracked at 21 miles per hour. During last season, I mean, he's a defensive end. The dude comes off the edge no. with it's man, a, and it's, that's I mean, that's not without a whole lot of running start either, right? No. <laughs> I mean, you're covering that. We he's he's an amazing player. He really is. When you look at every little ancillary thing we track be- among the three of us, he just kept popping up at the top of the list. Yep. It's just like my gosh, he does. He's just there. He's always making plays, and that's a lot to deal with. You don't have to be mean. He's yeah. actually not the nicest uh, guy in the world. Offensively, <laughs> it, it like it has to be Claypool, right? Yeah, in terms of I have to deal with this physical like, I prowess. Know, I would say, I would is there say, an offensive lineman? That I would you're say like, Eichenberg could trend in that direction. Okay, I just like I guess like Eichenberg has the misfortune, if you want to call it that, of like. Well, Mike McGlinchey was a lot more intimidating than <laughs> Lee Meikenberg. And Mike like, McGlinchey's Claypool is just like look. intimidating regardless of who. He's yeah. more intimidating I, than I, like you EQ could, or all those you guys. Could probably make an, you could probably make an argument for Cole Komet, too. Yeah, you definitely could. Um, 
physical prowess and what you know again i have to deal with this guy clake bulls is a problem he's bigger than all the guys he goes against he's as fast and he can jump and he can play like a prick too if you're yeah. like, if it's in the run game he yeah. he yeah. actually sort of enjoys putting on yeah back. now you know i mean I, I don't think anybody would look at number 11 on the back end of the defense gilman and say well he's physically intimidating but he is a He's the one that wants to hit you the most. Yeah, I mean, by he's, far. An, he's he's an intimidating football <laughs> yeah. player. He would and, be like the annoying guy in pickup basketball who's playing defense all the time and like taking charges. I thought you were going to say, come on, I thought you were going to say face guarding you the whole time. Yeah, I mean, that, that guy, <laughs> yes. like, seriously. I mean, <laughs> like, God. Uh, physically intimidating linebackers, Bo Bauer is probably the most physically intimidating linebacker. Yeah, when right? he goes out and hits someone in yeah. those scrimmages, it I mean, looks good. Asmar Bala looks good in a t-shirt. He occasionally will, uh, he'll occasionally make some contact too when he gets, oh no, I mean, part of like, the reason. This is the, physically yeah. intimidating. This is like, when you say physically intimidating, I think like, as the team is getting off the bus, who are like, hey, that guy looks really athletic. Yeah. Asmar Bilal looks that way. Well, I, I hope, with with all the things that we've said about Asmar Bilal, I, I hope he makes us eat our words from spring through he now. He sure could. He just hasn't been great yet. No, he hasn't. It's not like we're making stuff up. No, but he's going he's to be the... I mean, he's got the first crack of being starting Mike Linebacker. He's got an opportunity to have a, a really, really good year. So getting off the bus ever, best pair, is there better than McGlinchey and Nelson in 2017? First guys to walk off. It's like, yes, it's going to be that fun, honestly. But I don't know. I mean, you guys were here. You guys were I know. Right. I would, I would, I would, you know what? I would, I would, I would, those two. I would pair up, I would pair up Zorich with Pritchett, who's a okay, legit 6'5". Yeah. B.Y. getting off in 93. B-Y, yeah, B.Y. would be Aaron Taylor. With Aaron Taylor. Yeah. Uh, Burris was not unathletic. 6'4", Frank Stams. Bobby Taylor walks up behind them as a cleanup with the yeah. two heads taller somehow in the secondary. Man, I tell you what, McGlinch and Nelson were mountainous. They were yeah. huge people. Yeah, uh, not, you know, people. not a lot of guys like that jumping out at us now. But I'm sure by the end of the season, yeah. Kyle Rudolph, he would be high mouth. I mean, yeah. Jalen Smith also physically intimidating. Yeah, we could probably go on forever now. Yeah, uh, you guys go ahead and ask that question. Uh, Uganda, Tim Priester, what percentage would you put on Notre Dame winning another national title in your lifetime? I say this because I'm about the same age as you. I'd say ten percent. That's Uganda, not Pete Sampson. Just yeah. to clarify yeah. for everyone, else. right, right, I'm right, much younger than Tim. Yeah, and. I could I could <laughs> slip in a joke about my health here yeah. and how it might impact. <laughs> well, I think that's why but, I qualified it for you. But, <laughs> but uh, yeah, uh, but the health it's good right yeah. now. And and uh, I mean, so ten percent. So let's say uh, I just turned fifty nine. So let's say I make it to eighty. Twenty years. Let's say in twenty years. Twenty. Well, Notre Dame win in the next twenty years. I think um, the window of opportunity with, I mean. You need to you need to do it with Brian Kelly because they got things they got it going now. You know, I mean, whenever Brian Kelly is no longer the head coach of Notre Dame, there's going to be some type of transition. Yeah, it's a weird reset, right? Yeah. And it yeah, it's a it is a reset. Yeah. That's probably a good a good word. So it it probably needs to happen in the next five years. If it doesn't happen in the next five years, you know, we don't know who's going to be his successor. So ten uh, percent, I'm not I'm not sure I'd put it that high. Uh, you know, maybe I'd put it higher for the next five years, and then after that, I just don't know. That's probably a good way to look at it. Although, I mean, after the, I'd say you can say you have to do it with Brian Kelly, but I, I disagree with that because Nick Saban and Davos Sweeney are still here, and probably after Brian Kelly leaves, those guys will leave as well. And then, Saban will be on and then you reshuffle, leaves, you like yeah. reshuffle the deck. Like, let's say if Notre Dame hires Matt Campbell. And Same as retired. You know, 
Clemson promotes Brent Venables, and like I don't Al- Alabama gets Josh Gaddis. I I don't know. I what mean, if Alabama hires Dabo? Yeah, that would be bad. Be um, no, you, you make. But I just like you make. No, you make a good point yeah, because yeah. how because it's difficult to foresee Brian Kelly winning two playoff games and not having to play Clemson or Alabama. It's it's hard to see them him not having to play both. You know, it's right. like you'll probably have to run into both. Like he's going to be yeah. both those guys in two games. He's not um, right. Like last year, Oklahoma and, Notre Dame would have had to play. And both. where right. I think it's... it is, it is impossible in every way for Clemson to upgrade from Dabo Sweeney and Alabama to upgrade from Nick Saban. I could see Notre Dame upgrading from Brian Kelly. I'm not saying that's automatic. You don't know, but you don't know who that person is. No, but I'm saying, like, if you said, right, if Brian yeah, Kelly yeah. retired after the season. And they hired Matt Campbell. Would Matt Campbell win as many games as Brian Kelly? Probably. I mean, couldn't we all? We could yes, see that. Yeah. Could, could, he, could he win is, more? Yeah, I could see that too. But Nick Saban is not <laughs> is it unimpeachable in that regard. I mean, yeah, the, there's no the, way there. You're so like you yeah. can't win more than averaging right. 13 wins a game. Right. Um, right. I think Notre Notre Dame could could improve itself after Brian mm-hmm. Kelly in part because. Brian Kelly has brought the program so far along. Yeah, I mean, it's, look, com- it's, it's compliment to him. I, I don't think I've written about this yet, but in my, my interview with Jack Swarbrick, I, I talked about the hiring of Brian Kelly and the criteria that went into that and how, I mean, we've all talked about how important head coaching experience was. And I said, and we, I was sort of trying to get him to talk about, like, when you hire the next guy, is that going to be as important? And he said, he said, no, it's not. Like, that's not going to be a deal breaker for the next hire. You you necessarily wouldn't have to be have head coaching experience. I was like, all right, you need to explain why. They said because Notre Dame was broken yeah. in 2010. Wow. They they That's needed they needed somebody that that was a program builder because Notre Dame need to be built. If Brian Kelly retires after this year or next year or the year after that, they're not going to need that skill set because Notre Dame is already in a good spot in a way that it wasn't ten years. I'd ago. I'd still like that skill set. Sure, yeah. absolutely. I mean, and I'd like Matt Campbell to deliver it. To but. build to build on that in 2012, midway through, I talked to Jack Schwarberg, and I was like, man. This really worked out. Just kind of off the <laughs> off the cuff, you know. And he wasn't over the top. And he was like, I'm not saying he wasn't complimentary. He was like, the key is we now have someone that has a structured plan mm-hmm. at all times. I mean, it wasn't like, yeah. yes, it really did work out. Look at what I've done. It was right. it was just pointing out what you kind of said. Years later, is now nah, now there is now it's in place. It's been put in place. That's yeah. And I give Swarbrick a lot of credit for for putting yeah. it in place. Oh yeah, no, for no sure. doubt about it. All right, uh, we need to pick up our pace with these questions. Uh, Jim underscore Booney underscore CRS. Any word on Derek Allen, how he's looking? What are your expectations for this season? I mean, uh, the key for Derek Allen is that he plays on special teams this year and fights off a safety. Because Kyle Hamilton, I expect, will play. And so does the staff. And so do you guys. And so do people listening. Yeah. And and I it, just heard some positive things about DJ Brown, too. So Derek Allen has to get on the field and make a contribution of some type. Otherwise, he has, like, a huge offseason spring coming up when you're just... I know that Gilman and L.A. will be gone, most likely. But you still don't want to fall completely behind. You don't want them to say, Gilman and L.A. are gone. But, boy, DJ Brown and Kyle Hamilton were really good. So now they're our starters. Yeah. You want to have a competition. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think you you can live with being the fifth safety if you're Derek Allen. Right. I'm just saying, like long term, you wouldn't like it. No, the, right. You now, can't right, live right, with yeah. being the sixth safety. Yeah, if, if Litchfield, Ajvon, and Kyle Hamilton are ahead of you, and DJ Brown, you are in big trouble. Um, Kyle Hamilton. That said, be my expectation of the season, I have no idea. I I think I would say he'd probably be fifth. I think that he'll be behind Hamilton and Brown, but I ahead of Ajvon. 
but he has to get in on special teams. I would, like, I would agree with that uh, alignment. He has to get in on special teams, though. Like, if he's not getting in, it means he's nowhere near, and right. no matter what they say right. about mm-hmm. it. If a safety can't get on special team on a coverage... As he's already redshirted. Yes, yes. yes. That's okay. why you're there. Good point. Uh, <laughs> I love this one. Kay Beasley, who posts a better statistical season, Ian Book or Brandon Wimbush? Book. I don't know. Could you make an argument for Wimbush? I, can't make I cannot. Way. No, but I think he'll have another year, like go back to 17, where he's running all over the place and scoring touchdowns. The problem with is... that is, um, as I'm talking to people who are around UCF, like their entire offense is predicated on accuracy. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's short it, passes. It's modern. It, that's, that feels awkward to me. Um, I'm fascinated to see how the season goes. I think Book is. I think Book will have the best season by a Brian Kelly quarterback. At yeah, Notre Dame. I do. Like I, ahead ahead sure. of anything Kaiser did, Reese, Golson, whatever. We, Book, Book is going to have the best season. We had a question that I didn't include about: Will you believe in the second year quarterback jinx with Brian Kelly if Ian Book, you know, struggles? At, yes. I just yeah, don't think yes. yes. <laughs> yes. The, the, answer, the answer to that is yes because. That's how strongly we feel Ian Book is capable of playing in 2019. Yeah. The, I, the ceiling, he is going to, he should push the ceiling to 3,000 yards. I mean, I, you know, numbers are numbers. Maybe they start running the ball better, whatever. Is he capable of throwing for 3,000 yards and 30 touchdowns? Yes. yes. And if you want to rate him on how he plays against Georgia... And Michigan, and if they make the playoffs, that's fine too. But he's going to have a great statistical right. year. Now, I didn't say that he was going nope, to throw for 30 touchdowns. I'm saying he's going to have a good year statistically. Yes, I would agree. Kaiser Wilhelm with USC adding UC Davis to its upcoming home slate. Notre Dame and UCLA are now the only FBS holdouts to have never played an FCS opponent. If UCLA gives in, do you see Notre Dame eventually giving in as well? And how would you feel about such a move? Uh, I just know. There's no point to give in. Right. Why? What's the, there's no reason to Notre There's yeah. no point to also, give in. Also, like, what's the difference between playing UMass and UC Davis? You didn't give in. That's the point. <laughs> it's, but it's just like... <laughs> right. No, on the field, there's it's, not. It's an arbitrary classification. But you didn't give in, so why right. give in? Why bother giving in, right? Exactly. There's no but, reason yeah. to give in. You should... You, because I mean, you can play UMass. It's like the bowl streak that, like, well, we played a... a Provisional games, so he right. gets into the and Independence plus, Bowl. Who cares? There, there are an abundance of lower-level FBS schools that want to come to Notre Dame Stadium. They're play. on their way. Right? They, they are on their way. <laughs> coming I mean, to if if Notre Dame had played, like let's say they, if we were looking at the schedule, and you nixed Bowling Green and added South Dakota State, that would make the schedule harder. But you didn't give in. So oh, that's good. South <laughs> yes. Coast State. I mean, okay. would it not? Yeah. yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I think no one, very few people are more excited about this news about USC than Notre Dame. And you, no, UCLA, and maybe. UCLA, yeah. obviously. Oh, yeah, <laughs> UCLA <laughs> is definitely uh, excited about it. And, I, why, you know, why would UCLA suddenly go out and do that? I, they I, won't now. There's, there, yeah, <laughs> yeah. There, really isn't, <laughs> they uh, there really isn't any reason. Do you have any idea how to pronounce that nope. uh, tag? I'm going to go with Odeus McGue, 1928. <laughs> Good. Okay, Odeus McHugh, 1928. Good. If you had a choice, I love this question, too. <laughs> it's a very good one. <laughs> if you had a choice between Julian Love and Paulson Adebo for the 2019 season, who would you rather have? I'm putting mm. that on Pete first. I, real, I, I love the question. For the people wondering, Paulson Adebo's statistics as a true sophomore were almost identical to Julian Love's record-breaking statistics as a true sophomore. It's like 23-24 passes defense yes. with three or four picks. He was, was awesome. second in the nation. 
behind a guy that plays for Virginia. Yeah, I Bryce Hall is going to be a bit <laughs> yes. of a problem. The yeah. answer is Julian Love because he has an awesome interview and Paulson Adibu is a bad one. Is he bad? Yo, <laughs> oh, real bad. <laughs> Julian Love was an all-time great interview. Too. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. And he told us the truth about both with them. Who they play last year? Ball State. That was fun. Too. Yeah, yeah, and Love also. I mean, he was team, team leader situation going on. I'd love to have Love back. The team, yeah, but, and, pa- but Paulson Debo is a great college football oh, player. Yeah, but man. Julian Love is a great college football player. I oh, he I just agree. had a bad quarter yeah. where he wasn't playing. Yeah, and I, I wrote a story this too. week uh, quoting Todd Light talking about what made. Julian Love so good, and then I, I knew I knew where the thread on the message board would go, and and I and I get it, but I look, I am not going to trash a guy's entire career over a situation that we don't know what was in his head, we don't know why what what went through his head went through his head. He never showed anything like that before. No, he was never. a total warrior. No. He's a physical cornerback. He was one of the best playmaking corners to ever play for Notre Dame. I just can't trash all that without being in his head and knowing exactly why he made the decision he did in the Cotton Bowl. That's just how I feel about him. Plus, he is a great interview and seems like a super kid. Dashing Domer, do you like the move that puts Troy Pride to the boundary? Does that favor Bracey or Crawford on the field? How does Bracey look after more conditioning? And do we have any information on that? Do you expect any contribution from Avery Davis this season? I think they want to get a contribution out of Avery Davis, but I don't think that they know yet. He just doesn't have enough playing experience there. Uh, obviously, we talked extensively about this in, in segment one, that the move to Troy Pride gives them more flexibility. So I like that. Plus, he is going to play field corner, so it's not like it's going to be exclusive. Um, does it favor Bracey or Crawford? I think it favors both of them. I, I mean, it gives Crawford a... Uh, another opportunity to get on the field, which he wants. He has the role of nickel if, if completely healthy. I think it probably helps. It helps Bracy more than anybody because, although although I was told that Bracy would play field, and boundary, I'm just not believing the boundary part of it. Uh, although you know, again, you get a one on one situation on a deep ball to a big guy. That's not a bad guy to have out there either. I feel like if Avery Davis makes a contribution this season, that something went wrong with the other guys, though. It means Vaughn is hurt. Yes. It means Crawford couldn't make it back. It means Bracey was erratic. And that Houston Griffith didn't work out. I agree. I don't really see why he would uh, make a contribution with those guys. It's, yeah, it would be nice to see him get some playing time and, pr- yes. and progress. and play special teams and not play nickel. I don't like the idea of Avery Davis having to play nickel for your team. He's a, that's yeah, the hardest so, position by right, far. And when and Sean Crawford gets a six-year of eligibility next year, he can still be their nickel. That's right. Talk about a candidate, huh? Well, he is. He's, he's, a lock, he's a lock for it if he if wants he, it. Yeah, if he yeah. chooses to do that. He missed two full years from injury. There's no other way of looking at it. It's not. No, but I mean, yeah. if he chooses to stay oh, around. Of, of course, yeah. I don't, I don't know if he will yeah. or not. But, yeah, I think if Davis plays a lot, it's probably a bad sign for Notre Dame. Yeah. Irish M. What is the one development this offseason, be it a player, coach, scheme, recruiting, that has you really interested for 2019? Uh, I think, you know, the Ian Book good to great development would be a big one. Um, and I think that that's a, a, a bigger feature story that I want to write in the next couple of weeks um, about what he did as an ent- his entire offseason. Because he sort of is kind of one of those kids that I think he turned pro without turning pro. You know, what what he did. It's with, a good angle, man. Yeah, Use it. <laughs> man, like Manning Passing Academy, um, you know, speed trainer, his private quarterback coach, who he's been working with a long time. It's not just like a, a fix-it quarterback yeah. coach. 
Those guys um, are the best, too. They, yeah. <laughs> and to a man, they've all sort of talked about arm strength, velocity are up. Accuracy is as good as it's been. Um, he, I, I think he is going to be very finely tuned when the season starts. And I'm, I'm just I'm interested to talk to him and spend some time with him about, all right, now your perspective has gone from how do I win a job to how do I put myself among the best quarterbacks in the country. So That's you, a totally different perspective. You think it's people can stop texting me and sending me tweets about why I'm crazy that Ian Book could ever go pro after a senior yeah, year? Oh, yeah, there's, there's no question. Like When he went to the Manning Passing Academy this summer, he spent time around both Mannings, KJ <clears throat> Costello, Trevor Lawrence, Jake Fromm. Um, his roommate was JT Daniels. Like He's... he's Sees himself in that group. He now. should. He, he wanted should. to be in that group, right? Last year. So now Before the Clemson game. Now I think, well, I mean, we'll see how the season goes. But the first step of getting in that group <laughs> yes. is believing you should be in that <laughs> no group, and he does. And he didn't. He he wanted to last year, but he couldn't yeah. all the time last year. Um, especially, I mean, I know you know USC was that that was a big moment. I mean, it mm-hmm. it, it was riding on him and. And it showed a little bit during the first half, but he came through when he he had to. I would, you know, I mean, I, we can go through players. I mean, I'm I'm fascinated to see if Jafar Armstrong can be as good as we think he can. That's be. a really good one. Uh, can Chase Claypool be as good as we think he can be? Cole Komet. But I would mention something that Clark Lee brought up in the spring, and then I just talked to him about this morning. About remember when he talked about, you know, last year they wanted to funnel everything to the middle because of. Tillery, Coney, Tranquil, and now they want to take more advantage of their length and athleticism wide. You got, there's a balance there, there because is. now you don't have Julian Love tackling on the edge. And, you know, Travis Etienne got outside and is still running from the, the Cotton Bowl. So there, there's a there's a fine balance there, but I thought it was interesting. We talked about it again this morning. It'll be in, on Irish Illustrated. Um, you know, just how that they feel like he said he's got the longest – slash most athletic athletic group of linebackers that he's coached. They're young, but that's you know part of part of the taking advantage of that athleticism and length is uh, stretching it out and making opponents go uh, horizontally as opposed to vertically. Mine unfortunately appeared in Monday musings before I got here. I really want to see if the Nordic pass rush is as great as I think it can be. And as great as they have to be for six to eight games, they don't need. I mean, the, the pass rush they could play differently in some of these games. Navy and the two Mac. Or the it's two interesting schools. that you should say that because Clark Lee basically said our pass rush has to be great. Yeah, that's how I feel too. It has to be great, but even even better than last year. But you're not begging it to line, be. But no, it can be. No, but because of the young linebackers, you need something. You know, and and that's somewhat uncertainty at at, at yeah. one corner spot, I guess. Although that could be a could be a lead by. With with pride, they have so many bodies that can rush the passer. I I'm intrigued to see how they use them when you don't want to take the three best bodies that can rush the passer off the field. But of course, it helps them if they're not going all day long in the mm-hmm. game. Maybe they have to against Georgia. I want to build on this question from pulling one off of Twitter. Okay, that we didn't have on all here, right, go for it because it has a little bit of an Ian Book what Pete said. All right, the question came from Twitter. Well, how does Ian Book have to play against Georgia? Reminiscent of name a quarterback from Indy's past against a famous game we all remember. And my example of this is he has to play like Jimmy Clausen did at Michigan when they lost that game. The amazing effort by Jimmy Clausen when they lost 38-34. He had nothing to do with the loss. Jimmy Clausen had nothing to do with that loss. 
And I think Book has to be at that level at Georgia. I don't know. How, how did Brady Quinn play against USC? Very well. He got, he got yeah, picked once, but he got six. hit in the arm, but that would be... That's what yeah. that Brady Quinn was yeah. against USC was who came to mind first for me. He has to be at that level, right? Uh, I mean, Ian Book has to be, yeah. has to be the best quarterback on the field that day. That right. day. No, I mean, this is, sounds weird, but like Brandon Wilmer's performance at Michigan State was actually like probably the best performance of his Yeah, program. but that was too easy. It was that, a little weird. That was a, <laughs> so they, they made it so easy yeah, for him. Just run up the middle. Um, <laughs> well, if Ian Buck plays like he did against Wake Forest. But he's going to have to have a, a little bit more of like a warrior edge to him yeah. than, you know, maybe he, maybe he had to show or was capable of showing last year. And, you know, the Quinn and Clawson, you know, Clawson's toughness was really underrated. Especially that year. I mean, he yeah, was that year. bad toe all yeah. year. Um no, yeah. no defense whatsoever. You have to scratch right. your eyes. Like, I'm, like, I'm not taking away Book playing with a fractured rib and a kidney contusion at the end of the year. I mean, he was tough. He just wasn't um, great at it when he was doing it. Yeah. yeah. He's, you know, but the, the he's Quinn, spitting the Quinn up blood for crying out loud. Why aren't you good spitting up blood? Yeah. What's wrong with yeah. you? Uh, no, we're going to move on. We're going to move on to this question from at Burbs Ray. How much freedom does Ian Book have in, in Chip Long's offense? Can he call plays, audible whenever he wants, et cetera? How comfortable are you with Book making adjustments? Pretty comfortable. I mean, I, I think that's where he can – that's an, another huge area of improvement for him, though, is sort of seeing what's coming when it's – and knowing what's coming before it actually shows up, um, which is all about getting in the right play. That is a, that's, a right. chip, that's a chip long decree. That's what he wants. It's got to be better. Pre, some pre-snap. Stuff right, and it's like that was something that Reese talked to Book about last year. Is like basically, look, you're you are built like Drew Brees. Arm strength is good, not great. Um, you're not huge. You can move around, but you're not Michael Vick back there. So you need to be mentally on it at all times. Much like myself would say, Tommy Reese. Um, but I mean that that he has to have that level of understanding of the offense, and if he does, then. You know those physical traits are going to be enhanced. I th- Go ahead, Tim. How many times did we ask Brian Kelly why Tommy Reese was playing over someone, and he said he gets us in the right play? Yeah, yeah. Literal answer was he gets us in the right play. Yeah, I. I mean, I have. I'm extremely comfortable with book making adjustments the second time through, without yeah. a doubt. Yeah. Uh, does he have the freedom? Does he have the freedom to call plays? I'm sure he has the freedom to suggest them. I don't know that. A, yeah, he's not. They have the I mean, meetings. They, they, they say oh, these are yeah, my ten yeah, favorite yeah, plays. I think we does should does run. He have, and, and does he have the? Yeah. Does he have the freedom to audible? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. you got to. You but got it's to. not like the game's going on and Chip Long's like Ian. You. Run. Yeah, no, you no. Just, it just doesn't. You just do it this drive. No, they <laughs> talk about though we. Quarterbacks are always say, I have five plays I really like. I tell, yeah, I right. tell the offensive coordinator, and we, we put them in. This is an interesting thing not? from Chip Long. It's not, uh, yes, of course he has the freedom to audible. He wants him to be able to audible without the whole world knowing that he audibled, mm. which is taking it, isn't that interesting? Yeah, that is really I mean, good. that's, to, but that makes complete sense. Can you audible without the defense knowing that you just did? That's, that's, well, a, it that's helps part that he of the craft. Senior receivers. A veteran yeah. offensive line, and, right, right, right. And really a a look or a yeah. point, or, yeah. But um, yeah, I thought that was a, I thought that was really interesting. Uh, from Jay Chalanik, can MTA, can Myron Tagovailoa, Mosa, and Kurt Heinisch be more productive than Jerry Tillery and Jonathan Bonner? No, no, no. no I'm no. not. I don't even know. How, yeah. I don't yeah. think that's. I well, I mean, I guess the question is being asked. There's more to the question. 
can you know Heinrich presuming that Heinrich is better than Bonner, right? Yeah, and maybe yes. Ted and Tillery is better than MTA. Uh, yeah, I think yes. I think yes. I mean yes, of course. But um, I think Bonner's productivity last year, Bonner's production and contribution last year is a little underrated because that's what happens with nose tackles many that's what times. Will be this year though. He'll be a little underrated if he plays well. He's not going to make a million plays. No, but he's got better. More chance. Bonner, he's got sure. better chance to make tackles for loss than Bonner did. He he made more plays at yeah. scrimmage last year than Bonner right. did. So right. I mean, it again. But I think it's worth acknowledging with Heinish. One of the things that was working in his favor was he was teammates with Jonathan no. Bonner, and now Heinish is not teammates with no Jonathan doubt. Bonner. Yeah. No so doubt. They, they, but they need, do they have. But they have Lacey. a true freshman that they really, really believe in, in Jacob Lacey. The rest of the question was: If MTA and Heinish can't be more productive than Tillery and Bonner. How can Notre Dame win nine plus games with Bilal, Jen Marquise, Bauer, et cetera, et cetera? Ian Book, yeah, Ian Book has and, a great year. And the pass rush is amazing, and Troy Pride yeah. has a Julian Love right. year. The safeties are as good as they were in their bests last year. There's there's a million things in a football right. game. And yeah. Lacey and Adam Alola are better than Heinish and MD. Or I could do Treadway were last year, which they should be. I mean, there's pretty, there are many pieces involved. We're pretty confident of that. Yeah. Two more questions. One from at Frieder. True or false? Tommy Kramer and Liam, Liam Eichenberg improving from serviceable to a very good could be the difference between 9-3 and three and 11-1. and one. Yes, that's a great question. Very good, Liam Eichenberg and Tommy Kramer. That's a, The offensive line has to be the second best unit for Notre Dame. Well, quarterback. So quarterback, defensive ends, and offensive line. And if those guys are very good, the offensive line should be very good. Yeah, I'm, I'm down with this guy. That's a good a good way to look at it. I should never say quarterback over a defensive end, but it's true. The quarterback has to be great this year. Last question from at DRJK4. Will Notre Dame finally win at Stanford this year? Can we revisit this question in three months? <laughs> yeah, because right now I'd say, yeah, I think they could win at Stanford. Can, I mean, can they? Well, well, in, of, of course sure. they can. Of course they Will can. They, uh, right. I don't know. Here's, here's an interesting thing. I wrote a preview for an ACC magazine, and they plugged in um, – the ACC wins, so I was not allowed to comment on the preview, mm-hmm. but I was allowed to comment on the rest of them, right. make my own predictions. Right. So I had a loss to Georgia as a preseason prediction, and then I was thinking it'll be ten and two, so I had to find another loss. But in reality, I didn't think it would necessarily be at Michigan or Stanford, and I obviously was going to have to pick one. I kind of feel like more it's going to be one of those one of those ACC teams jumps up and gets them, and they can win the other games. But I honestly think that. I had to choose, and I chose Stanford over Michigan because of Notre Dame coming off a bye before Michigan. Michigan having Penn State, and Notre Dame coming through all of November with all the games they've yeah. played. Now, I'm not, I wasn't confident in it at all. Hey. But just like if I chose Virginia Tech, it would be only because they're coming off of Michigan, and maybe they mm-hmm. beat Michigan. And they, it's, hard to, it, it's hard to say, unless you think they're going 11-1 or 12-0, then yeah, this I is mean, difficult to forecast another loss, right? Yeah. You would maybe yeah, use Michigan you th- for percentages. You would think Notre Dame's chances of winning at Stanford are better than they've been. Now, now they had a chance to win. They were up in the fourth quarter I know, two years ago. I know, I know, I know. Well, they were the better team most of the year than Stanford. And they could have won, they certainly could have won just, four years ago, They weren't too. at the end, though. They weren't a better right. team at the end of the year. But they were better all year right. until that moment. No, it's it, that game will be a 50-50 type game. And... That's why 67% is crazy. <laughs> so is Michigan, though. So is Michigan. 37% is crazy. All right, we're going to wrap it up with that. We are we are less than three weeks from camp opening. Is that right? That's about right. Yeah, it should be. That is correct. Uh, and uh, like I said, we are back in the, the weekly cycle and pushing forward. We appreciate you joining us here today. We'll be back on Monday, July 22nd with Irish Illustrated Insider.
It's time to start planning your trip to Notre Dame. Rent Like a Champion is South Bend's largest vacation rental company with over 1,000 weekend home rentals available close to Notre Dame Stadium. Head to rentlikeachampion.com slash illustrated to get $100 off your booking when you use the promo code IRISH2019. That's rentlikeachampion.com slash illustrated promo code IRISH2019.